You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. You guys, I am beyond excited about this episode because my good friend, Kristen Hadid, founder of Student Made, an author now, about a, it's been about a year, right? Yeah. Like this came out like a year ago. Yeah. Author of Permission to Screw Up, right here. You guys, Kristen, thank you so much for being here. I'm super, super pumped to have you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I have known Kristen for so long. I don't even want to try to count the years. Um, the first time that I met Kristen was actually in Professor Rossi's class, oh, yeah. Principles of Entrepreneurship. We actually were asked to come back and speak on the same day. That was the first time I had met her. And, and since, we've had, we've had holiday parties together. <laughs> we've, we've done a lot of things. And, and now it feels like, you know, this is what's really great about the podcast is that the podcast is an opportunity for me to catch up with old friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Well, I want to dive into your story and hear about like all the crazy things that have been happening since you wrote this and everything going on with Student Made. But before we do, definitely want to check in. This episode's airing on December 24th. So Merry Christmas to everybody yeah, who's listening. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and um, you know what's what's going on in Best of Gainesville world, man? Ty, hit me up. Just it's uh, since it's the Christmas Eve episode. Just if you've got anyone that's coming to Gainesville for the first time. Just make sure you don't uh, miss any of the things that makes Gainesville awesome. Take them to the stadium, take them out of Lachua, take them to Micanopy, and uh, I know I've got some family coming into town that haven't been here in a while. Um, so ch- check out the best of Gainesville and see what to do. Are there any like those big like light festivals or anything like? There's a big light the village and hail, but that's okay. at the end of November. I think it goes through the Dece- through December, but uh, I haven't found anything that's really special happening on Christmas Eve just yet. Okay. I gotta, I gotta take a moment to wish my wife happy anniversary, December twenty second. So a couple days ago, <laughs> yeah, we were, we've been married for eleven years. I can't believe it's been that long. It's crazy, eleven it's years. Crazy. Eleven That's a long years. Time. It's a long time. So, um, thank you, Shannon, for putting up with me that long. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and cool. So, are you gonna tell us where you're going? Not yet. Because right yet. now, when this airs, yeah, you're gonna, somewhere. So you're so, not going to tell us where you're going no, for the holidays. I might not. I might not. I All might right. just follow along. So when this airs, Kristen, where are you going to be? Do you know? I don't know yet. No? Maybe with my parents. Okay. Flagler Beach. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. Then well, before we get into it, I've, yeah. I've got a podcast success story. Okay. Um, so we had I Taylor Williams on from Guts and Glory a few, maybe like a month and a half ago. Um, and she connected me with her boyfriend who runs a uh, thing called Python Optics. And uh, he used to be the UF women's assistant volleyball coach. He's a psychologist, um, has done all sorts of research. And um, I'm a golfer, so we actually did some cool research yesterday at the Standard. They have a really cool golf simulator. We were in there, Standard took care of us uh, for a couple hours, and uh, it was really cool. And, Dude, uh, I saw it on your story. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. So I had some goggles on, we're doing all sorts of optical eye training, and all sorts of quiet eye analysis, and it, it came from, from the podcast. That's, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. 
I love podcast success stories. Yeah, that's great. If you've connected with anybody on the podcast or have decided to move your gains back to Gainesville, like that, that was probably one of the most surprising yeah, stories that was, that was, was when somebody reached out to me and said that they were moving back to Gainesville because of this podcast. What? Yeah, have they moved back, moving yeah. their business. No, I think they're coming like in April. I think was okay. when when they said. We'll have to get them on the I was like, dude. Yeah, that's what I told them. I was like, I want to hear all about it. You yeah. should be on the podcast. <laughs> so that kind of stuff is really, really inspiring. It's cool to see that just the connections and collaborations through it. So Absolutely. cool. Awesome. Well, Kristen, thank you so much again for being here. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've seen any of our podcasts or the things that we're doing, but we, we always like to start back with the origin stories. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like what led, what led to you becoming an entrepreneur? What led to you writing this book? Mm-hmm. All of that kind of good stuff. Um, I know that I know your student made story very well, <laughs> but for our audience that might not, why don't you kind of give us the, the, the story? Sure. So let's see, let's go back to childhood. My parents say they knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. I probably didn't know that, but I mean, I, I remember asking for a cash register when I was like five years old. I always had these little stores. I did a lemonade stand. Uh, I remember in first grade, I figured out that you could you could put Elmer's glue in your desk and like let it dry overnight and then it would be a fake nail. So I, I sold fake nails in first grade. I mean, I always had these little operations. <laughs> And so I came I came to University of Florida, only school I applied to, so good thing I got in. And uh, lost, didn't know what I wanted to study, changed my major nine times by the end of my sophomore year. At one point I was double majoring in accounting and interior design, just to show you how, how truly lost I was. And you know, I think, I, th- I thought at that point in my life, success was about your salary and about how much money you made. And, and so I was trying to find a major that would lead to a high salary. And I had heard you could make a lot of money on Wall Street. Even though I didn't know what that actually meant, I, I decided that's what I would do. I would be an investment banker. So finance was the major that I ended up with. And uh, one day, everything just kind of took a turn without me really understanding what was happening. I, I went to the mall. 19 years old, completely broke, had no money, fell in love with a pair of jeans. $99, thought, what is something I can do to make enough money to buy these? Put an ad on Craigslist to clean a house, just to buy the jeans. And I think that's like, that was the entrepreneurial spirit in me. Just if I needed something and I wanted to make money, I would just figure out a way to do it. This house, it was a complete disaster. I had no idea what I was doing. She had a 4,000 square foot house. I had never, I've like cleaned my own room before and that was really it, you know, and it, it was a nightmare, but she really needed help. She hired me to come back and that was kind of how it all started, but never was it supposed to be my career. You know, I remember thinking, this is a, a side gig. This is a way to make money for my New York apartment. And it slowly grew. I, I, I got to a point where I was cleaning five days a week, six days a week. I would go to class, clean a house, go to class, it was exhausting. It was really hard work. My friends were not interested in helping me. I think I hired my first employee maybe when I was 20. Her name was Casey. And it was just the two of us for a long time. And I had no idea what I was doing. But right before I graduated, right before my senior year, I got a contract to clean hundreds of empty college apartments. And that was kind of the turning point and when it became a real business. Um, and yeah. So it, it was never, this is, not, this is not where I thought I would be by any means. I, I, I mean, if you were to tell me you're going to give up Wall Street to own a cleaning company, I would have laughed in your face. Yeah. Crazy. And like through, I mean, 
I always feel like that's what happens in entrepreneurship is that it's a lot of times it is an accident. Yeah. It's, it's like seeing or seeing an opportunity and seizing it. Yeah. I mean, what's been like the craziest, you know, I'm like, when, when I hear that and I'm reflecting back on what I know of your story, I know that there's been some some challenges along, <laughs> along the way, <laughs> which probably led to like oh, a lot of why this was named Permission yeah. to Screw Up, right? Oh, yeah. So like, why don't you tell us like one of the, the horror stories that you can remember and and uh, what you learned from it? Yeah, oh, so many to choose from. <laughs> um, well, I, get, I think the one that I should talk about is the one that really changed ended up changing the trajectory of my life. It happened really early on in the business. It was actually when I got the big contract to clean all of these empty apartments. Uh, it was, it was the conditions were of the contract were crazy. We had three weeks to do all this work. And there was a clause in the contract that said for every apartment that was not ready by move-in day, we would have to pay for a hotel room and until these were ready for all the residents. So I, I was under extreme pressure to get these done. And I hired 60 people to help all students, because I was a student, I thought it'd be easy to work with students. I knew that it was hard to find a flexible job as a student. And this was like the perfect job for someone in school because it was only three weeks and you could work as much as you wanted and then it's over. But I didn't do any training. You know, I just, I, I remember asking everyone, you know how to clean? And everyone magically said, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that's all I had to do. <laughs> and but, but most importantly, I didn't have leadership experience and I didn't have experience leading a team of people. So. The first day of the contract, I give everyone their cleaning assignments, and then uh, I'm like, well, "What am I supposed to do? I don't, you know, am I supposed to clean? Am I supposed to? I don't know." And in every movie I've ever seen about business, the boss just kind of sits in the office while everyone does the work. And so I thought, I guess that's what I'll do. And not because I thought I was better than anyone, I just truly did not know what my role was in this big contract. So I told everyone, "I'll be here in this in this office if you need me." It was like the clubhouse of the apartment complex. And while they're cleaning these filthy apartments, I'm in the air conditioning, my feet's propped up, I'm like talking to my friends on the phone, completely bored out of my mind. And it goes by for a couple days, and on the third day, 45 of the 60 students walked into the clubhouse where I was, and they quit at the same time. And uh, it was a really bad day <laughs> to have 75% of your team quit. but. It, and when I tell the story, people are always like, there has to be more to the story. Like, there's not more to the story. The work sucks. You're cleaning toilets. And you have a leader that does not even care that you exist. I mean, I didn't even lead, I didn't even walk out of the clubhouse to check on anybody. I didn't know their names. I didn't, I didn't know anything about being a leader. So yeah, those things added together. Who wants to do that? But it changed, it changed my life because it was that that made me obsessed with learning how to be a leader and with learning how to build a company where people really wanted to be, even if cleaning was in the job description. Okay, so how do you, how have you invested in yourself as a leader since that point? Oh man, well I think, you know, I think leadership requires resilience and I think you have to be willing when you fail to step back and look at what happened, what is my role in this, you know, take ownership of your piece of it and then be willing to say it out loud and admit it out loud and, um, and then be willing to, to do it differently going forward. And I think as long as, have I made the same mistake multiple times? Yes, you know, like did I learn something and do it differently the next time and still fail? Yes, but I think as long as you're learning, you're not failing. But I got, I got the team back. I won those 45 people back because I admitted that I had no clue what I was doing, that I obviously had done something and I was willing to, to work really hard to be a better leader, but I needed their help. And I think so few leaders 
admit weakness and admit that they need help because we're taught that that is not a sign of strength and that if you do that, you lose credibility and that people don't respect you or want to follow you as a leader. So how long did it take? I mean, that's that was like one of the more rare moments in the business, yeah. right? I mean, in terms of the seasonality, because yeah. it's you didn't always have like 60 students working for you, right? So right. that was a seasonal thing. You would hire a bunch and then, yep. you know, I don't know, was it just temporary help that you so, guys would grab? The first 60 people for that busy summer, they ended most ended up staying on the team okay. going into my senior year, and we were looking for any kind of cleaning work we could find. And so that was really, I would say, like the start of the company. Because before that point, it was just a couple people helping me. Gotcha. Yeah. How did you guys handle the seasonality? Because I think with New Scooters Plus, it's something that I've always struggled with as well. I yeah. mean, we, it's a little it's a little bit different. We're not trying to <laughs> clean thousands of bedrooms <laughs> yeah. in a two-week period. Um, but, but, you know, in the month of August, we're gonna sell 300 scooters, whereas right. in, you know, November, like right now, which is when we're recording, I know it's December 24th, technically. Yeah. <laughs> but November, December, you know, it's 30, 40 units. Right. So it's a lot lower, and and so, We've always just had the stress of just overtime, everybody exhausting themselves, yeah. like working a ton, and trying to balance that as a leader. And like, not I don't want my team to be strained, but I also don't want to hire a bunch of help that I'm gonna then have to like let go. You know, mm -hmm. like I've always tried to balance that out, and and I've been very unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. I, I think I think we've just ultimately said, you know what. We're just gonna pay our team members a lot of overtime and like let yeah. them get to the point where they're just like, okay, I need a break. Yeah. But that's kind of been our solution, and I'm not sure if that's the best solution. But I've I've found that it's hard to get people to really kind of buy into the culture mm -hmm. when they're when it's temporary. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I mean, maybe you can educate me a little bit or on yeah. some things that you guys have done that have helped. Yeah. So I'd love to back up just a bit yeah. because I think it'll give some context to this question. So okay. along the way, I figured. I figured out that there was a, a bigger purpose for student made. That it wasn't, I, I knew it wasn't cleaning that was getting me out of bed in the morning. You know, there was something else that was really exciting about the company. I knew for other people it was the same. I just didn't know what it was. I, I didn't know how to articulate it. I didn't know how to explain it. And what I, what I realized after connecting the dots over many years is what we're really doing is we're building leaders. We, we give our students enormous responsibility we trust them before they've proven that they're capable of handling the responsibility. We we do a lot of leadership development. They're learning how to dust and vacuum and mop, yes, but they're also learning things like how to build relationships and how to confidently introduce themselves and how to give feedback that's really hard to give and how to accept it. And, and we actually teach workshops where they're paid to come and learn these things. And so we, what we say is we want you to leave our doors a stronger leader than when you came in. And that what we're really doing is we're helping you develop these skills that will make you successful in your life. And we just so happen to clean toilets while we're doing that. So what would happen is that, you know, that's our, that's our culture. Like that's why people want to work with us. That's why we get up every day. And then we would hit the busy season where we would all of a sudden go from having maybe 50, 60 people to three, four, 500 people. And it would take so long to prepare for the busy season. And we would be so overextended and so everyone working to their max. And then you would look around in the middle of the season and you would be like, what, where am I? What company is this? It didn't, it didn't feel like student made. 
we were desperate to hire people because we had all these contracts to fulfill. We would just hire, I mean, if you had a, if you had a pulse, like you got the job, you know? And, <laughs> and so what would happen is our best people would, would be working with people who didn't have our values and weren't there to learn and grow. And they would be demotivated and they would become disengaged, our best people. And it would take months to recover from the busy season. We would all take vacations and like we had, people who strategically planned their weddings and honeymoons in the busy season so they wouldn't have to be there, be a part of it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's how much we hated it. So I remember there was She's one day. She's pointing to Monique who's in the <laughs> room, right? Monique, what was it, your wedding, honeymoon? Wedding, wedding yeah. And, um, and then one day we were, we were starting the, the, the prep for the busy season and I just, I had this like epiphany. I'm like, why are we doing this? Why, we know we're going to dread it. We know it's going to make our company a different company. We know we're gonna to have to spend a couple months recovering. We know we're going to cause harm to our most valuable team members. Why are we doing this? And so it, we made a decision that was really hard to make, but we scaled back. <coughs> and so where we, we were working with like 26, 27 properties, now we're working with three, four. And all who match our values, believe in our values, believe in what we're doing, who we know are gonna treat our students well. We only hire people during the busy time that really fit our culture. We make sure that they're learning and growing too, which means less money. It means we're not bringing in as much revenue, but it just wasn't worth it to us. And I think that's something else we don't talk about. Like downsizing is okay, and choosing to scale back to protect your culture is okay, but we're taught in business that you have to keep growing and keep doing more and more and more for for it to be considered a success, and I don't I don't believe that that's true. How long ago did you make that decision? Ooh, probably three years, four years ago. Okay, and how's the health of the organization Ugh. been since? I can't even tell. It's better. like it's a different company. Yeah, and it feels it feels like student made all year round, and I realized yes, maybe we made more money during that time, but we suffered in other months because we we were recovering and we weren't able to be effective. And so we were, we're doing better financially on a profitability standpoint since making the decision. So I just, yeah, I, I would encourage people, if you feel like if you feel like the growth is causing harm, it's okay to scale back. And it doesn't mean that you failed. It, I think it actually means that you're really smart to scale back. That makes me feel so good because we're about to do that in a major way. Yeah. I mean, not like, obviously we're gonna have the seasonality of scooter sales. We're gonna sell right, more scooters in right. August and stuff, but one of the decisions that we've been debating probably for two or three years, honestly, what is not servicing scooters that aren't ours. Yeah. You know, so like when people buy a Tao Tao scooter from somewhere else, like we don't sell that here. We, and we've been servicing it. So people go and they'll buy scooters in their hometown, not even Gainesville or from one of the other dealerships and then they bring it here for service. And it's kind of like, and I've always been like, why, like why, why do you even bring it? Why aren't you taking it back there? And I think that has a lot to say with the, I mean, I don't wanna, I'm not trying to throw any beat up on competition or anything, but I think a lot of times there, there's a reason why they're bringing it to us. Yeah. And, and then when they come in, they haven't been through the, cust the sales experience, the customer, that service, the customer experience. And so I feel like our service team is constantly getting getting beat up yeah. by these customers. And and like we're, you know, it's November and we're on a three, four week service wait. And I'm like, man, this is not this is not good for 
you know, the customers who bought scooters from us. And, you know, I don't want to say, say tell somebody that, hey, you got to wait three weeks to get your scooter back. That's like terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we like, we made the call, like starting in January, we're going to only service our brands. So Vespa, yeah. Piaggio, you know, Bentelli, Wolf, like all of the brands that we represent genuine, you know, we're only going to sell or service those brands. And I'll be honest, like I'm, I've been a little nervous about like yeah. what it, what it could do from a revenue standpoint. Sure. Um, but I hope it's very, very much in line with that, that it's, you know, we're gonna be taking better care of the people who purchased from us, yeah. um, prioritizing their service. And, and we're just gonna have to politely say to the other people, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, like we don't service this brand, but here's yeah. another company that can help you out. And yeah, I think it it's sounds great. crazy like sending an business an somewhere awesome, else, but yeah. Yeah, and you know, right, good. I think it also shows your team that you are willing to make tough choices <laughs> to better the organization. I don't know, I think so many people feel like the company they work with doesn't really care. You know, it's anything to make a dollar. And you're making a stand and I think that's really awesome and I wish more companies would do it. Well, we'll I'll let you know if it works out. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Keep my fingers crossed. Do you help people sell their scooters if they didn't buy them through you? Do we you help someone's them sell like, them? hey Colin, I, I want you to service my scooter, I'm gonna buy a scooter from you, help me, help me sell mine. We would. Because I couldn't imagine being in Gainesville with a scooter that wasn't bought from here. Yeah, it's, it's so in that conversation, like what we discussed is that we'll give them a more than what it's worth trade-in value, okay. and then we'll figure out what to do with the scooter from yeah, that standpoint. There's, actual, there's actually brands of scooters that we won't sell because we just don't trust them from a quality standpoint. Yeah. And, and that's that's difficult because you know college students are on a budget. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they, sometimes it's just like, I just need the cheapest thing in order to get to, to and from class. And, and that's like not necessarily what's the safest thing or what you should be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, there's there are brands of scooters that we won't even resale. So in the past, we haven't even taken them in on trade, but if somebody has been coming to us from service, and that's probably the hardest part, you know, we thought about, hey, should we grandfather it in? Should we, certain people, because we've had, like I went and had a customer who reached out to me when we started, you know, we've been trying to over communicate this to our customers, yeah. giving them plenty of time, saying, hey, this is coming around the corner, just a heads up, and I had somebody reach out to me, um, you know, people start asking, well, what about scooter storage? Like, we still store it because you're not technically servicing it. And so there's been a lot of these little nuances that we have to figure sure. out. But, um, but you know, we had a customer who's had, you know, three over $3,000 of service with us over three years of, three or four years. And then, like, that's a lot for, for a scooter. But it just kind of goes to show the kind of investment you're gonna have to make into a cheap one. And, you know, we've we've been servicing her scooter and it's like, man, you don't you don't want to tell a loyal service customer we don't want your business anymore. Right. So there's like there's still some little things. I'm sure some exceptions will be made along the way, but but we've definitely made the choice overall that this is this is how we're going to roll and it I mean it's a, a an exact reflection yeah. of that story just in a completely different way, definitely scaling back and being being smart about the you know where we're going. So I just remember to oh go ahead. Sorry. No, just to fast forward probably where we're going by scaling back yeah. in your business that's opened you up to other opportunities that may have not come as yeah. quickly or as easily or, or what have you. Um, I know I struggle with this all the time is scaling back personally um, and not spreading yourself too thin because you know you never know when the next opportunity is coming and if you have things managed a little bit more reasonably, yeah. you can you can jump when you're ready. Totally. Um, I didn't mean to skip into that, but. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, it's like you, it takes your focus away from of course. things that actually are really important and that and and I was 
I remember questioning, like, how come we're not growing in all these other areas and all these things we've talked about for so long that we want to do, we're not doing? Well, because this thing was taking away all of our energy and focus. Yep, exactly. uh, but I, I was going to say, I remember walking in to the meeting. So the, the 26 apartments were all owned by just a couple of big companies. And, you know, we've been their cleaning company for years. And it's really hard to find a cleaning company that can handle the volume, that you know is going to get it done before move-in day, that you know is going to do a good job. So we had built this rapport with them, and it was really hard to tell them we can't do it anymore. And we were so afraid for the meeting. I remember thinking, this is going to be the worst day. But they were so understanding. And I don't think they can, I don't think people can really argue when you're making a choice that is truly the best for your business. And people understand, you know? And so actually some of them ended up coming back and working with us. Some of the four that we work with are, you know, some of those original 26, but it, it was not anything like I thought it would be. They were so understanding. So kind of like transitioning to what you were saying. I mean, that's freed you up, right? Yeah. I mean, cause you, I guess, I'm trying to frame up my question here and doing a very poor job. Um, how many toilets were you cleaning during those during those times? Like you, like and or like getting the leaders? Because I know you had managers of different groups that were going around. I mean, when that transition did it just when that transition was made? Did it just free up a lot of your time oh, as yeah. a leader? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it freed up everyone's time and and. We, we just realized, okay, if we keep saying our purpose is about growing and learning and helping people become leaders, what are we really doing to walk our talk? And yes, maybe we teach this small little workshop, but that's not really enough. And so stopping the busy season the way we were doing it allowed us to really focus on what is our purpose and how can we make sure that people are really getting this experience. And um, it's it's student made is a different place. Like we have We have students that apply and they have heard that this is a place where you learn to be a leader. Not how much money do I make working here and how many how many houses do I have to clean? It's it's like, is this the place where you learn how to be a leader? Because that's where I want to work. That's awesome. And how that many? shift only happened after we stopped doing the stuff that was taking us away from making that happen. Cool. How many team so how many team members do you guys have now? We're really small right now. Yeah. We we have about thirty to forty max. We still peak up in the in the busy time, but nothing like we used to. I mean I think what like 50, 60, so maybe double the team during the busy time. Okay, and now how does how have you balanced you know all the speaking stuff? Because when did that really start to happen? You started traveling a lot. Mm -hmm. I like I follow Kristen Hadid on Instagram, <laughs> guys. Like I see all the stage stuff, speaking in front of large yeah. groups, and it looks yeah. like it's a very a large mix of businesses, students. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, kind of walk us through that. I'm really interested in yeah. to when that really took off. Yeah. Well, I remember. Rossi's class when we first met. I was such a terrible, I, I was so petrified of speaking. And um, I remember he said, just come in, like say whatever you wanna say about your business. And I wrote down my whole speech on a piece of paper and I read it from the paper. I don't even think I looked up from my paper. And he asked me to come back the next year, so I thought I did a great job. I did the same thing, I wrote it all out and I walked in and he ripped it out of my hand and he was like, please do not do that again. Just speak <laughs> from your heart. And I was like, speak from my heart? What does that even mean? Um, but yeah, I started speaking to students and I think that's where my, like I was a st recent student, I knew how much I had learned as a leader and I just thought if there's anything I can help teach that I've learned, I would I would love to do that. It's what I was doing in my company so I started, I, I spoke to college students, joined an organization called Campus Speak which basically is a speaker's agency for only the college market. So 
worked heavily with them for a couple of years. And then I realized there's this really, there's this real need in the business world to talk about two things, how to create cultures that really bring out the best in people, but also how to engage the next generation. And we hear so much about millennials and Gen Z and not my words, but things like, we have no work ethic and we're entitled and we move from job to job to job and you know we, we want a promotion tomorrow even if we were hired today. And I don't see those things in my company. And, and we worked really hard to not stereotype people and just try to create an environment that brings out the best in everyone. So I saw there was a need in the, in the, work, like the business world to help people understand how to do that. And um, I spend probably 80% of my time doing that now and we call it Student Made and Beyond. So it's everything we're learning at Student Made, we're teaching it to organizations all over the place. So I would say now I mainly do work, like business stuff, not, not so much student-centered um, speaking. You know, it's funny that you know, Professor Rossi, he's, he's still doing some teaching. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like he's not doing principles of entrepreneurship anymore, but he's, yeah. uh, I know that he's doing uh, creativity and business. And he so actually great. reached out to me a few weeks ago and was like, hey, you know, can I bring the class to your business? How cool. And so they were here last week and we were giving a tour. We actually crammed 30 people in this that. room. So yeah, awesome. you saw it? Yeah. Crammed 30 people in this room, talked about the podcast a little him. bit. I love him, I love him. Yeah, he, he's great. So so how often like are you, you're on the road all the time, right? Yeah, like, yeah, so like this week I have three events. I had three events last week. Um, sometimes I'm in Gainesville for 24 hours, sometimes I'm here three, four days at a time. And when I explain it to people, I, I get a reaction sometimes, like, why don't you just sell student made? Why, why do you have student made? Interesting. I'm like, no, you don't get it. They're both so intertwined. Like, everything we're doing at student made, we're teaching to the world. And I think that because we're teaching things to others, it makes us really walk our talk, and it makes me a better leader, and it makes me really think about the culture we're building and creating and, and making it the best that it can be. But it's hard, you know, it's, it's like you have to, I have to be more intentional with my time. And when I am in Gainesville, well, I would love to go get coffee with friends and catch up and like probably why I haven't seen you in so <laughs> right. long. I spend it with my team, like I'm with them the whole time because I don't get a lot of time with them. And I've learned that it's not so much the amount of time, it, it's making it count when you have it. So when I'm here, I'm all student made and, and really being hands on. But in the company now, my title is chief of vision. So I'm really, where are we going? How are we going to get there? What, what is our future, our, the future look like in terms of our culture? And what do we need to do now in order to get us on track to, to be there? Tell me a little bit like of opportunity. I got to think that now that you reach this stage, you're getting a lot of opportunities coming your way. How do you choose like what to take, what not to take? Yeah. Like, truthfully, <laughs> I, we're still figuring it out. I mean, I think it's growth is a, is a weird thing. It's, it's like there's so many ways you could grow. People want a franchise student made. Is that, does that sound exciting and enticing? Sure, but when we really sit down and think about it, is it what we really wanna do? Are we really excited about that? Is it really going to, to grow our culture the way we want? No, so we're not going to do that. Yes, it'd be really cool to make cleaning products, you know, and be selling vacuums and maybe one day, but is that really helping anyone grow and learn and become better leaders? No, so we've, our, our why, you know, about the, the leadership piece is really the filter that we use to, to analyze opportunities and, I don't really want to be in front of an audience unless, unless I'm going to really help them see something differently or help them grow in some way. I don't want to be away from my company if, if that's not what I'm doing. 
Gotcha. So, yeah, I just, I mean, do we mess up and do we take opportunities that, in the end, weren't the best? Yes, all the time. All right, so one of those opportunities that fulfilled that vision was very much sitting down, taking the time to write this book, yeah. right? Yeah. So how's that been? Oh. What's it like being an author now? <laughs> I can't believe it's actually published. For so long, I thought we wouldn't. And even it's have fantastic, a book. by the way. Thank you. Like Thank I you. got it right away, and it's it's awesome. I'm gonna before I forget, I'm gonna want you. I want you to sign I'll forget otherwise. <laughs> I will sign it. Um, I can't write and talk at the same time, but I promise. I'll sign um, so I'll tell you how the book came to be, and then I'll tell you yeah, sort of the journey of it. So uh, I always wanted to write a book. Never knew what, what I wanted to write about, but I just always loved writing. And one day, out of the blue, Simon Sinek, who, if for those listening, if you don't know, his work, Start With Why, get his book, watch his TED Talk. I think his TED Talk is like the third most watched TED Talk ever. Yeah, it's awesome. Amazing, but his whole thing is people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And, and it's about having a clearly defined purpose and cause, and that's really what inspires people. So one day out of the blue, Simon calls me and he says, hey, I have this conference I really want you to go to. I oh, can't. But how did this relationship come to be though? Oh, with Simon? Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, like oh, Simon Sinek never has part. once called me out of the blue. <laughs> so I oh, well, I met Simon before he was like famous. <laughs> Otherwise okay. we probably wouldn't be friends. Um, I had just graduated from UF and the chamber, they were doing the Business of the Year Awards and he, which I'm in seeing this Thursday, by the awesome. way. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, they had booked him to come speak. The chamber booked Simon to come speak here, and I, I think it was like a teaser to get people excited for him coming. He announced the Business of the Year awards over Skype or something. I want to say, okay. and Student Made won that year, and it was like some weird. He he learned about the company, and then when he came, we talked, and then we just stayed in touch and became friends. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it was because of Gainesville. There that's you go. great. Um, what an incredible person to have in your network. And I mean, super inspiring. I've read all of his books, they're great. Yeah, he's amazing. And I think we just, we had the shared belief that you know people should come first in a company. And it's not about the numbers, it's about people. And I, I didn't really know, at that point I was so in student-made world that I didn't really know that in many companies, especially when you go beyond Gainesville and you start really looking at these companies, People are numbers, and it's really sad. And so Simon was trying to change that, and I really identified with his work, and so I think that's why we, we hit it off. But anyway, so he calls, and he's like, have this conference, want you to come, can't tell you anything about it, just just trust me and fly, it was in Aspen, fly to Aspen, I'll meet you there. So I know, I trust him, you know, so I, I fly there. And I'm checking in, and there it was a really small conference, maybe 25 people, and I'm looking at everyone's name tags, on the registration table and I see former president of Ecuador and supermodel and um, founder of the container store. And I, for a second, I truly thought I was there to clean Irving's <laughs> rooms. I was like, I don't belong with these people. Why am I here? And so he says, you're the speaker. And I'm like, what? Uh, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I don't want to tell you to get you nervous, but I'm like, you thanks now, I'm like really I'm nervous. nervous yeah. um, but he wanted me to talk about millennials. And that was the first time I had ever even like known that was a topic you could talk about. And he just said, talk about what you see in your company, what we can do to help young people thrive. And so my publisher was in the audience and that's kind of how the book happened. He, after the event, he was like, hey, I really want you to write a book. And I said, Great, we shook on it, and so I didn't have a proposal. I didn't, I didn't have any idea of what I was writing about, which you might hear that story and think, oh wow, how lucky. 
if I could go back, I wish I had to write a, a proposal because I was so lost. I had no idea what I was writing about. And for the first year, I probably, yeah, first year, I wrote about millennials because I thought that's what I spoke about, so I thought that's what he wanted me to write about. And it felt, it just didn't feel right. It, it, I felt like everything I was writing about applied to all humans, not just millennials. So it, it didn't feel like the right book. I told the publisher, he's like, I never told you to write about millennials. I, I just told you to write the book that you thought the world needed. And I'm like, oh, great, I, mis I misunderstood. <laughs> so kept writing, still stuck, felt empty. Actually was with Simon um, in New York, we had dinner. And I just told him, I'm like, I feel really stuck. How do you know when you're writing the right book? And he said, in my experience, the right book is the one that is the, the hardest book to write. And so I thought about it, and the book I was writing was easy. And I thought, well, why is it easy? And it was because everything I wrote about was success. It was like, here's our amazing culture. Here's our amazing team. Here's all these wonderful things. And it didn't feel like the whole story. And so I thought about what would make it hard. And, and stories like the 45 people walking out at me and choosing to say goodbye to our most profitable and you know highest revenue producing customers and like the, the things that are really hard in business that people don't talk about. My favorite's like the one where you pay, like paid everybody way too much and then you <sighs> ask for all the money back. <laughs> oh my gosh, we overpaid 27 people by $40,000. <laughs> she had yeah, to go back and be like, payroll mistake. Um, we need, we <laughs> we need, need all the all money the back, money please. Back we just paid you. <laughs> oh, so yeah, but I just, I remember being, uh, when I first started the company, I would go to the bookstore every Friday. That was like my Friday night thing. And I would, I actually took a speed reading class so I could read as much as possible. And I, I found wonderful books that I learned. I mean, I, I found my early mentors were in books. But I do remember as the company grew, feeling like I was alone because I would read these books. And yes, people would talk about failures, but they were always at the beginning of the company. And then it's like, and now here we are and everything's great. And here I am still making mistakes left and right. And I'm like, is something wrong with me? Am I not, am I not supposed to be an entrepreneur or a leader? And I just wanted to make people feel less alone and like just call out that it's normal to mess up all the time and not know what you're doing. Yeah, I think that fear of failure is one of the things that even hold, it just holds everybody back. I yeah. know a lot of people who don't even take the risk and even start a business because they're afraid to fail. Yeah. I mean, what do you say to those people? Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, let's... I don't know. It's it's so I think it goes back to childhood actually. And and what your relationship is with failure. Because I was just at a soccer game. Um, my boyfriend has a daughter. She's 6 years old and we've like raised her together and so she anyway, she's in soccer and at, at that age, you know, they don't keep score. It's like having all about having fun. And after her game, I overheard these two little ones talking about how they each played. And, and one was like, I scored six goals. And the other one was like, I scored zero. And they hugged. <laughs> and they were celebrating. And I'm like, OK, so when we're kids, we're totally OK with messing up. We're, we're OK with scoring zero goals. Actually, we hug and we celebrate scoring zero goals. And then something happens along the way where now we identify, you know, we get an F on our test and we're a failure. And our parents don't love us, or our teachers don't love us, or you know, we're afraid to take opportunities. What if we mess up? So it's like, what happens between celebrating zero and then that? And I grew up in a house where my parents pushed us to fail, and it was not a bad thing, and we talked about it, and it was like, you fail, it's okay, you're gonna learn, figure it out. And I don't think many people were raised that way, which I wish everyone was, but it's sad, you know? So you, you learn that, you, you think that you have to be perfect and have to have it all figured out, and I think that's why many people don't take the leaps like starting a business and other things because they're afraid what if it doesn't work yeah i agree yeah or they're not 
willing to admit or aware that they're failing. I right. love the quote from Simon in the foreword of your book. Which um, one is it? The There's a huge difference between aspiring to be our best selves and claiming to be perfect. And yeah. I think a lot of people have their head in the sand sometimes or they paint this picture of what they actually are, what their business actually is. And yeah. it's to take a long look at yourself as special because um, you're never gonna get where you wanna get to if you're gonna, if you're gonna fake it, basically. Yeah. Um, well, somebody asked me last night, like I was over at the Innovation Hub speaking to a group of students and well, student entrepreneurs and you know, the question is, they were always asking about decision making. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, yeah. oh, like, how do you know what <laughs> decision to make? And, and I mean, my advice, I'm, all, I'm like, I'm like, look, I was like, I've always been a gut instinct person. <laughs> like, you know, trust your gut 100% of the time. It'll be right 75, 80% of the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'll go with those odds. But you know, it's, it, it's. A, some people don't even make decisions just because they're afraid yeah. of the of what might happen. Yeah. And I guess I've just always been one of those people who's just like, look, like I make a decision and then I just if I have to, I pivot or I adjust along the way. So it's I It's like don't, a learned intuition. Yeah. I, think the I guess that trust yeah. themselves a little bit. Once you learn to trust your intuition, you start believing in it. Yeah. And it makes decisions a lot easier and more decisive and you're more inspired to kind of keep the path even if it seems like it's it's, you're not getting there yeah. um, if you but trust if, yourself. But what if you make wrong decisions so much I've that it so just, wrong <laughs> I know, but like, I mean, what if you just, your gut's always wrong, you know? Or, I'm, I'm trying to think of that person, like yeah, what, no. what brings down that, that self-esteem? Like, I mean, you're just, if you're making decisions and they're constantly not wrong and you're not able to adjust and maybe it's just people just dwell on them too long. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, it's like you can't dwell, you can't have a pity party. You gotta like just, you know, and ask for help yeah. from someone that yeah. you trust or you know someone you don't know. Yeah, go ask. We always tell people on the podcast like Gainesville's a great community with a ton of amazing leaders in different industries that are willing to talk to you. Mm-hmm. You know, reach out to Colin or me or you. Someone mm-hmm. is going to be willing to talk to you or at least text you back and and give you a vote of confidence or tell you straight up maybe this is what you should do or go talk to this person. I think that's the most powerful thing this podcast has is its network and the availability of the people here in town to to really help. Yeah, well and on that, reflecting on decision making, I mean, you've done a really good job of surrounding yourself with brilliant people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's gotta help, Absolutely. right? Maybe, yeah. and I think a lot of people are, I don't know, they're afraid, like you said, they're afraid to reach yeah. out. Maybe because they're afraid of being yeah. rejected and being told no. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, mean, you know what's interesting though, like when I think about the best mentors I, I have, they are the ones that ask questions. And I think that I, I think everyone really has the answer inside of them. Like it I think you learn most by knowing what not to do. Like you your gut becomes more trustworthy and reliable the more mistakes you've made because every time you make a mistake, you know if this happens again, I'm not gonna do that. Or I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, and so you, you I think the answers are within us and I think what's important is surrounding yourself with people who ask you the right questions. And remembering for those who, of you who have employees, oh sorry, um, giving your employees the chance to trust their own instincts and intuition. And at Student Made, that's something we really try to do. We don't micromanage people. We always say like, trust what you think. And if, if someone has a challenge or they want advice, we don't give them the answer. We say, well, what do you think? Give us two ideas. And I think part of the problem is we don't give people the chance to develop that, that piece of them. And so it's our job as leaders to, to give people that opportunity by not solving everything for them and by, it's kind of like tough love. It's 
you know, I really want to solve this for you and give you the answer, but I'm going to, I want you to think about it because you're not going to grow if I jump in and figure this out. But then also surrounding yourself with people who challenge you and, and ask you, what do you think? Well, one of the best ways, you know, when I, when I reflect on what I know of, of student made, I mm-hmm. think the one thing, the one tool that has really helped you do that are your core values. Yeah. Right. They've been like this empowerment tool. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's interesting because I, I reflect on our core values and even even on Friday of last week, our general manager was sick. Our sales manager and service manager were on the honeymoon together. <laughs> they got married. Mm-hmm. So like the managers were gone. I like dropped the message in Slack saying, "Hey guys, like I know I know all the management teams done like gone um, and is out of the office today. If you need to make a decision, run it through the core values." Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're giving and people a compass. Right. Yeah. I mean, t- tell me a little bit about about your core values over there and, and how much of an impact that's had on the culture yeah. uh, of of student made. So you ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> So we're gonna be doing away with our values. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm oh, the, oh gonna, this is great. Okay, I'm gonna talk to you about. Okay, so I think having values is so important. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have core values. We we we're changing our values, not getting rid of them. When we started this whole thing together, the company, you know, and I read about Tony Shea, CEO of Zappos, how he had this core value system, and and that's kind of like how he hired people, decided when to let them go. It's it's how he put the culture into words. And so when I read this, I was like, oh, we have to do this. And we sat everybody down and we're like, what should our values be? And together we came up with these 10 things. And they're great, you know, one's like be classy, not sassy. Pay it forward, which is about giving back to the community. Take your moral fiber, which is about integrity. You know, 10 really catchy things that are all really good. But if you were to line everyone up and say, what, what are our 10 values and explain exactly what they all mean, I promise you, no matter how many times we teach it, everyone's gonna give you a different answer. Interesting. And even myself, I, I gave a speech on core values, and I could only name eight of our values on the stage out of 10, and it was humiliating. And it was like, wait, why can't I, what are the other two, what are the other two? And it was so, and I was like, oh, we're out of time, email me if you want the whole list of 10. It was so <laughs> embarrassing. But it's like, that's a sign that something's wrong. Right, and so what I realized is we've been in business now 11 years. And the values served us for the first couple of years and they were really important, but they don't actually represent the culture. None of the values are about learning, growing, none of them, and that's what our whole purpose is. Mm. So we're changing them. And I've realized you need to have a few, you can't have 10. I think you have, like the fewer the better so people can really remember them. They need to be actionable. They need to be so obvious like a kindergartner should know what the value looks like in action. And they really have to represent your culture and it's okay to change them over time. And I think so many times in business, we hang on to things because it's the way we've always done it or, oh, we can't change that. That's our, those are our core values. And so we're looking at our business and we're willing to change everything. It's like, if it's not serving us anymore, we gotta change it. So last night we had a, we call it development day. It's we bring our whole company together and we teach leadership development. And we, we made the announcement that our values, you know, we're gonna be looking at them and changing them. And everyone's like, yeah, cool. I'm so glad that this is being aired. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you're announcing this to the world yeah. on the WHAIG. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I don't know if that answered your question. That was like a really 
roundabout I think it's great. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, so in business, you do get complacent. You're like, this is the way we've always done things. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm constantly trying to come up with ways to challenge my team to like, to continue to think outside the box. I mean, for us, you, you know, it's, our number one core value is to create and recreate the UCE, the ultimate customer experience. But really that's, I mean, that's just as much as our why right. as, as it is a core value, you know exactly. what I mean? So like, we want to be an example of excellent customer service and, and creating that customer experience right. in the industry, in small business altogether, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's very much our why. So I think as long as we, we're true to that, whatever yeah. values are written out, that's still going to be there no matter what. Exactly. So, so I can I can I can go with it. <laughs> I did, but I do like I know that it's, it was a vital part to, yeah. to how you've gotten to where you are today. Yeah. So. It, it, yeah. And I think what values do is like you said they give people a compass to make decisions, and we always say as long as your decisions are coming from the right place, you never have to worry about losing your job. It's when you make choices that are greedy, selfish, dishonest. That's when we are going to have the conversation of you can't be here anymore. So you have to remove the fear from people and you have to really empower them to make their own decisions and values are a great way to do that. Okay, and so with empowerment, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, and I've, I've finally learned this over 14 years as an entrepreneur, but being okay with the fact that it, things aren't going to be run necessarily as the way you would do it. Mm-hmm. Has that been a challenge for you or is it only a challenge for me? <laughs> it's been a challenge. You know, your business is your baby and it's your name and it's your reputation and it's your heart. And um, But I, I had to get over that quickly because I, I knew that the business wasn't going to grow. Our people wouldn't grow. I wouldn't grow unless I, I was more hands off. and. We have something I'm so proud of. It's called our ambassador program. It's a year old. We're, we're going into our second year next year. And it's, you know, we thought, what would be, what would make an incredible learning experience for our students? Having them actually run the business. So it's called our ambassador team and there are student positions where they're actually doing things like running the operations, um, handling recruitment, meaning interviewing and hiring, mm. doing training, um, we have a culture team where their whole job is to to strengthen the culture and do like engagement surveys and like all this, all these things that the business cannot function and survive without these things happening. We have literally put in the hands of our students. So we have, I mean, we have like people as young as I don't know our youngest ambassador, nineteen, twenty, no business experience, no leadership experience, and here they are running the business. And so that Dang. requires major hands off and accepting that things are going to fall through the cracks. Think people will mess up, but they will learn. And I think the message we're sending them is we trust you, we believe in you, and and now they have more ownership in the business and they're so much more engaged. And yeah, so yeah, I, I started with writing everyone a to-do list every day, spelling out exactly what I wanted them to do each day, and now we're here. And it just, I think it's like, you gotta be hands off and Sometimes it might mean looking the other way. Like I know I don't want to get involved in this project because I know if I get involved, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to change so many things. And so I just I choose like what things to get involved with because, yeah. Have you have there been times where you just absolutely have to come back and step step back in and? Oh yeah, and yeah. Get... Well, I think so. It is a strength to be able to stand on the sidelines and let people do their thing, and to and to give them your support and 
watch them really succeed and, and own it. But then there's also a time where people need you. And it's, it's hard as a leader to, to identify when is that line crossed. Mm-hmm. And so I think you do have to, like the, I'm definitely, I have a tough love approach, which is I'm not gonna come in and save you from failure. I'm going to let you figure it out and stumble and learn. But if you're failing and you and you're you really need me, like I'll I I will step in in those special circumstances where I feel like you're just too far in over your head that it's it's almost like the opposite of caring for this person to not step in. And I think that's a thing where I can't really articulate what that situation looks like. It's just something that I've learned with my gut. Okay, this is this is a time when I need to step in. But I I don't step in often. I, uh, the reason I'm on this topic is because you know I've been getting this new media agency yeah. off the ground, which has been, which has been awesome. I mean, super rewarding. I got text last night from from a friend, you know, one of our clients who landed a major MC deal. Like, I mean, just really, really rewarding oh, stuff. Yeah, I and, saw that on yeah, your, and like seeing um, like seeing Instagram. our work, little mm-hmm. pieces of it, help somebody else succeed. It's been super rewarding, especially yeah. on the business to business standpoint. I mean, I absolutely love. New Scooters for Less and everything that we've done to change this community in, yeah. and had the impact that we've had on the university, but to be able to take what I've learned as an entrepreneur for 14 years, particularly in mark, you know, marketing and media, and be able to help other businesses grow because of that is incredibly rewarding, but I'm, I'm not here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very yeah. much, you know, got another team, we're building, working on this new thing, and then and then there's like meetings or times where I have to kind of I pass back through the dealership, and I'll, I'll, I mean I'll walk through the showroom and see like an entire row of you know no product, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. They, they, which is good. I mean they sold the scooters, right, but I'm right, very right. much like um, we should hustle to get yeah, like more yeah. scooters on the floor so yeah. we yeah. can sell product like how you know, and then I see like that the those holes of. No scooters have been there for two days mm-hmm. and three days, and then I'm like, all right, now I'm getting a little antsy, and I'm and I'm trying not to be like, yo, somebody assemble some scooters <laughs> and get them on the showroom floor, <laughs> you know? I'm like trying yeah. not to be that leader. Yeah. But but guys, really, I would really appreciate it's it hard. if you, <laughs> you know. So like, yeah. I just don't know when when is appropriate for me to step back in and be like, hey, like let's let's get this done. Can we? You know, like let's go. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It's like I I don't know. I try to ask myself before I speak and it doesn't always work, but I'm like, is this necessary what you're about to say? Like, do you really need to say this? And how many times has it been not necessary? (laughs) So many times. (laughs) Okay, good. Um but I've also I think I think what's important too is telling your team that you feel that way. So I've told my team, like I struggle with where do I jump in, where do I not? I want you to grow, I want you to do it on your own. I also don't want to abandon you when you need me. And so we kind of have a deal, like if you really need me, tell me. Know that I'm not stepping in because I just, I don't want to rob the, the growth opportunity from you. And so I think it's okay to open up to your team about that and say, if you think I'm overstepping, if you think I'm making a ridiculous you know, I'm making this ridiculous and it's not, tell me. And so many times I think it's an emergency and we need to do it right now and it's urgent. And then my team's like, uh, no. yeah, it's not really urgent. Thank you for your feedback. <laughs> like, yeah, it can wait, yeah. believe me, it can wait. Well, it's funny because even yeah. last night, like I, you know, I saw a huge order, it was like $30,000 of scooters. Like, yeah. you know, I saw a huge order invoice come through my email and and I'm like, oh my dude, 
like, why are we ordering scooters at the end of the year? Like, we have so much inventory. Yeah. Why are we Why are we doing this? And I guess, you know, then I start digging into it, and it's like, it's like, Colin, just stay out of it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, um, it was like, oh, well, they, we had we had gotten the wrong product to to begin with, so we didn't have these we didn't have these units. They offered us free shipping on the units, <laughs> and they're giving us 365 days of flooring, so we don't have to pay interest on it for a full year. And, I mean, it's just like all these. I was like, okay, good job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like you know, but you see an invoice at the end of the year like that, like we don't need to be yeah. buying it, you know. So it's just yeah. it's just that instinct. But then we need to like start digging and like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I'm proud of you. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Ty, you got any last minute questions, man? Yeah, I wanted to get into uh, just real quick. Sure. With all these speaking engagements and mm-hmm. leadership conferences and and different things you're doing. Um, I'm sure as you're aware, as Colin and I are too, you're on Facebook, there's just tons of, you know, I don't wanna call them like fake coaches or leaders, mm-hmm. or there's a lot of fluff out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're, when you're developing kind of what you're talking about and different things, what are you trying to kind of steer your swords, steer yourself towards mm-hmm. to, to kind of, not to separate, cause you've got a real business and you're doing amazing. Right. How do you, connect with those people that really need it kind mm. of in today's world that maybe can't attend the leadership conferences. Are you gonna be doing some online stuff or where do you yeah. kind of see yourself progressing kind of over the next year or so? Yeah, we're looking at all that. You know, we wanna reach as many people as we can. It's, I'm not going to lie, the travel is exhausting, you yeah. know, and I love it. When I get there, I, I'm so reminded why I do this. But do I wanna be on a plane every other day? No, you know? So we're, we're definitely looking at how can we reach more people? How can we also do that in ways that doesn't always require my physical presence? And I think your point about, you know, we see all these coaches and leadership experts and I, it's so easy to write a speech and feel really comfortable with it and deliver it time and time and time and time and not change it and just keep perfecting it and while it's so much easier to get in that zone, I'm trying really hard to push myself to talk about what's what's currently happening, the mistakes we're currently making, the lessons we're currently learning, which means it's content that I haven't practiced speaking about before that I don't have I don't know when you're going to laugh or you know when when to pause or but it just feels so much more natural and authentic and I think that's what people want. I think people are done with fluff and they they want to know like what do I what are you really going through right now and what are you really learning and what can I what can I glean from that? And um, so I'm, it's uncomfortable, but I, yeah, my speaking style is very different than it used to be. And you know, I, ju- I just try to think about what would I want to hear if I was in that audience and it wouldn't be a rehearsed, yeah. you know. Is not knowing the core values on stage the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened or is there something more embarrassing? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that might be it <laughs> on stage, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Oh, uh, what's a what's a company that that you admire from a leadership and cultural standpoint, Ooh, and why? So many. I would have to say Barry Waymiller. They are a manufacturing company, about twelve thousand employees, based out of St. Louis. Um, the CEO Bob Chapman has had a huge impact on my life. I just I love his philosophy, and his whole thing is that everyone is someone's precious child, mm. and that it's our job as an organization, as leaders, to take care of these people. And that's a huge responsibility. And I try to think about that. Like every day when I, when I walk into Student Made, like the, these are, th- this person in front of me is someone's child. 
you know? And, and when you start to think about it that way, it's a huge sense of responsibility to take care of them and to really provide an environment that you would want your kid to be in. And I think, yeah. So I, he has a book, Everybody Matters. It's a wonderful book. Um, it's more about his, his leadership philosophy. Highly recommend. Cool. So is there a second book? Another book I recommend? It, 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 no, in, the, in, in your pipeline. Oh, yeah. Not, there... not in the pipeline, like I'm not writing it right now, but it's so funny, when I finished this, I was like, I'm never, ever, ever writing another book, <laughs> ever. And then maybe uh, a couple of months later, I was like, oh, I miss writing, but I'll never write another book. And now I'm like, I'm writing another book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. What it will be about, I don't know. Okay. Maybe when... permission to keep screwing up. <laughs> Very cool. Anything else, man? Yeah, last thing, yeah. this being a podcast, what are, I know you've been on some other podcasts. Mm -hmm. What, uh, I know you read a lot. Give us like maybe a couple books, couple podcasts you like. Yeah, so we just finished The Now Habit as a team. It is so good. It's about why we procrastinate on things. Mm. Um, great book. I'm currently reading Dying for a Paycheck. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. If you want a book that will blow your mind, read Dying for a Paycheck. Okay, it's about employee health and wellness and how it's connected to engagement. It's Is it by? unbelievable. You know, Do I you don't know? know the author. Okay, Dying for a Paycheck. Um, podcasts, I, to be honest, I don't really listen to too many podcasts. Besides this one. I love this one. This is the one I recommend. <laughs> um, I listen to Entre Leadership. Well, I love Entre Leadership, yeah. yeah. Dave, Dave, Ram Dave Ramsey's awesome. Yeah. Great. Really good. Yeah. Great guy. Well, cool. So, you guys, while it's uh, in the spirit of Christmas, I got you guys something. Oh. Okay. So this is this is for you. So sweet. Uh, yours is in your email. <laughs> so, so there you go. Oh. Merry Christmas oh, to you guys. And um, the next it's episode. Huh? Yeah, my it's my book. It's book. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this is how you. I, I wrote it. Oh, I, I, love I, it. I wrote it last well, night. Oh, I've never oh, read yeah. this. Also, okay. Okay. No, I mean, a lot Love of people who have listened Super to cool. me know that uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's been a huge uh, influence yeah. Yeah. on me and definitely, definitely like his work. Yeah, I actually so. wanted to talk to you and repaint the wall on uh, creating some of his uh, Instagram-style videos yeah. where it looks like he's texting you. Yeah. It's very effective. Yeah. It's super cool. We're, we're doing some, some neat things right in there. And actually, you're out of, out of all the social media platforms, Instagram's probably the one that you engage with the most. Or? Yeah. I always, I'm always following Kristen's stories. On I need Instagram. to be better, though. I yeah. need to be better. Oh. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> just, just keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's cool. You know, that's what's so great about Instagram stories, especially getting that behind the scenes look. Yeah. And get yeah. about to get on stage, that kind of stuff. It's, yeah. it's cool. It's, and we it's, get a ton more engagement on the store per story. Yeah. I mean, than a post. Oh, it's, you do on Best of Gainesville. Yeah. Really. I mean, percentage-wise. Okay. It's incredibly more successful. Are your stories, that's uh, probably a different subject for a different day. <laughs> I'm like, now I'm like at, at going into social media questions. We'll save that for another time. Yeah. We, gotta, we gotta wrap this up. But Kristen, thank you so much for being here. Thank Super you. appreciate like her one day in Gainesville. Oh, thank you. Like make, making, making time for us. You're the, oh. you're the sweetest. And I wish you con continued success um, in everything that you're doing, the book writing, the speaking, student made. I know they got a rock star team. 
Monique, come over here. Get on the yeah, camera real quick. Come give me a hug. Get, get, yeah, get on the camera. This is my girl right here. Oh. Say hi. Wave to the camera. Hi, <laughs> Thanks for everything that you do, too, yes. and to the Student Mate team. And thanks for being such a vital part to Gainesville success. Yeah. You know, we're doing this podcast because we love Gainesville so much. And to be able to highlight entrepreneurs and business women like yourself, like, it's just incredible. So, thank so you. thank you very much. Yeah. Gainesville World, thank you for listening. This is the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. whoa. <laughs> we will see you later. Bye. Bye.